Hi, welcome to Offscript Film Review. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are talking about two big movies that, that are kind of hard to get. Well, well, one of them's easy to get. Uh, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is on Netflix. It is Germany's uh, submission to the Academy Awards this year, the 95th Academy Awards. Uh, big movie. Adaptation of the 1929 novel. Not an adaptation of the 1930 film, uh, but like a, an interpretation, right? A, a spin from director Edward Berger. Also, we're taking a look at Decision to Leave, uh, Park Chan-wook's new feature, and South Korea's submission to the 95th Academy Awards <laughs> this year. God, we're some nerds, Andy. <laughs> we are getting in on those indies. Got it. Subtitle heavy. Yeah, I think I I think I had an idea that these were both like official submissions for best international feature, but looking at that trivia today, I was like, man, we 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 really are bold cinema on this show. Uh, we're gonna talk about movie runtimes. I I know that might sound silly, and I think we might have talked about it in the past, but they just announced a new Avatar uh, runtime, and it's 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 a doozy, man. James Cameron has director's cut, and he's gonna use it. And before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. Uh, our first story this week: Lupita Lupita Nyong'o is coming to the Quiet Place universe and it's a universe because they're making a prequel <laughs> alongside a quiet place three which is due out in 2025 uh, lupita nyong'o is going to star in a quiet place day one the 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 day the quiet place started uh coming out i, I think maybe 2026 from director michael sarnowski director of pig which we actually liked on this show pig's good stuff uh andy hot takes w- what do you think of this well, I think that this is uh, exciting news. We we got a little bit of that day one chaos in A Quiet Place 2. It opens with uh, Emily Blunt and the kind of initial attack by the, the aliens, uh, which is a great opening scene. And so I guess we're going to get the, that whole, what that whole entire day was like, uh, starring Lupita Nyong'o, who, of course, uh, is a great actress herself. And Michael Sarnowski, who we said did Pig. Phenomenal movie as well. I'm interested to see what, what he plans to do with the property. Uh, I tell you, there's a lot of there's a lot of good things I like about this story and like one real bad. I I, I, I love Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, she's fantastic in Us. I still think she probably should have got an Oscar nom for it. Uh, so she could do horror. No worries about that. She's great. Leading woman, pure talent. Director Michael Zarnowski, rock solid. Loved Pig. Can't wait to see what he does. I bet this will be a bit more thoughtful. Uh, I, I, Pig is a surprisingly quiet feature. Why not roll that into a quiet horror movie? The thing I don't like about this is that we're getting like a fourth Quiet Place movie. I, I just uh, I don't think this series has legs. <laughs> <laughs> but the box office has proved me wrong. People will turn out and see this feature, uh, I think, right? Uh, a Quiet Place did fantastic, $340 million on a $70 million budget. A Quiet Place 2 earned just, just $40 million less than that at three $300 million even. Um, you know, what, what do you think? Quiet Quiet Place prequel? Quiet Place day one? Well, the, this is like the, the A Quiet Place MCU because they are still making a third film in the main installment with the, the main family, which involved John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, and uh, I can't remember the children's name. Anyways, so th- there's the main movie, the and now this is a spinoff, and if it's successful, it'll probably turn into a series or a franchise uh, itself. So, I mean, everything's a cinematic universe. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this is a bad one to... Uh, to start and it's you know there's only th- two films out now so that's you know it's easier to keep up with than something like I the know. mcu so I, I, i'm excited I'm, about this 
I'm way too skeptical. I, honestly, if they just like change the setting, I'm sure that will offer a lot, right? Like set 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 Lupita Nyong'o's character like downtown when something goes on. The last couple times we've seen day one of the Quiet Place uh, from the previous two films is. Uh, they're out in like small town America, right? They're like in Montana or something. So like, there's definitely potential. Put it somewhere different. Make it something exciting. Like, I think it could be something really cool. We'll see. Either way, there's another Quiet Place movie coming after Quiet Place Three, which will be a prequel. Uh, next story: Viral horror Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey is getting a theatrical release. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when a movie goes viral, I guess, right? Like, you just, it gets, gets pushed to the top and they make enough money and they say, by God, we're putting it in theaters. The absolute mad lads going up against the house of the house. Yeah, what do you think uh, about this? Never underestimate the power of memory and things becoming memes. Uh, that's exactly, it's like White Claw. Like, White Claw's got huge off, off being memes. And that's what's happening here is it's like the, the, the concept is just ridiculous and intriguing in a way and it's just everyone's like oh man this is i want to see this and it's probably just going to be okay but that doesn't matter like the hype train has already left the station everyone wants to see it everyone wants to get in on this uh, this really low budget movie and it's we're going to be able to see it in in theaters which is uh, kind of exciting right it's february 15th so uh it'll be right after valentine's day so uh take your dates who <laughs> wants that uh, be fun <laughs> Yeah, one one day only is a real big deal. Uh, this is coming from director Reese Frake Waterfield. I don't actually know what else he's done. I will probably look him up on IMDb later and report back. Uh, but we know that following this movie, he's also prepping for another twisted take on a children's tale with Peter Pan Neverland Nightmare. <laughs> I hope this is just this guy's bit for his whole filmography. Like studies movies, loves cinema adapts one goofy Disney adaptation after Disney loses the rights to Winnie the Pooh and says, by God, I've done it. Like, I, I found my yeah. niche, right? Tim Burton had goths. <laughs> God, <laughs> I bet you Disney spectacle. hates these guys. I, I mean, what do you do, right? Like, Disney's had this problem in the past with, uh, what's that movie? I, Escape from Tomorrowland, I think is the name of it. It was, like, shot in the parks in, like, 2014. It's a black and white feature. It's not even good. But, like... If they, if Disney files suit, then like every Hollywood reporter variety, you know, page is going to run Disney suing these filmmakers over this movie. And it's just going to give it, give it, give it air, right? You're going to give it gas. Yeah. It's, it's the Barbara Streisand effect on the internet. You talk too much about it. It becomes a thing. That's part of the reason this movie's getting a one day release, but I think it's probably for the best that Disney says nothing, right? Just, <laughs> just ignore it. Don't think about it. it. It's it's not even a blip on the radar for them. They're doing fine at the movies. So that's a Wednesday. Just I'm seeing what day of the week it was. So of course it's a week. Clear your calendars. That's right. Yeah. Check your check your schedule. Tell tell your your loved ones you're going to be at Winnie the Pooh on Monday. <laughs> How bad can it be? It can't it can't be worse than Terrifier two, right? It's got to be surely. Surely it's just as good, um, which I haven't seen, by the way. We probably don't. Andy, do we need to watch that movie for the podcast? I feel like Ter we do at some point. <laughs> I feel like I we need to, do but need then to I also have to yeah. watch Terrifier 1. I, I don't, okay, listen, I don't know about that. Maybe, yeah, I've, I've not seen Terrifier 1. Uh, how, did, how did we let Halloween blow us by not to get that? Either, either way. Uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, coming to theaters one day only. Get your tickets now. Uh, with that, we should move into our first review of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one, so please excuse any clumsy delivery. Uh, this is Germany's official submission to the Academy Awards this year, 95th Academy Awards, and this is a Netflix feature, which is weird, right? We're in that special time of the year when like a lot of really big, cool movies are coming out. 
and Netflix is actually putting out like treasures instead of just pure trash. <laughs> Every once in a while throughout the year, the a gem will pop up, a mystery or an Enola Holmes or, or, or you know, a rom-com or something something cool. But like they're getting to the point now where like the big stuff's happening, right? The Romas, the the, the, the Irishmans of, of the Netflix category is starting to emerge. And I think uh, All Quiet on the Western Front might be uh, one of those, maybe. Uh, so let's talk about it. The movie is All Quiet on the Western Front. So this is the story of Paul, uh, a young German lad who is of who's just just underage to join the military, right at the uh, the kind of the height of the World War, uh, World War One, where we're in. And uh, Paul's friends are are all super excited to go to the front, right, to go to go reclaim Paris, like and 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 win the war for Germany and put in, and launch Germany into the world stage. True patriotism coming from all of these characters. Uh, and Paul uh, forges his dad's signature and he signs up to be a soldier and he and his buddies all get trucked out to the front line like trench warfare we're dealing with in World War One, And like that's where they discover that, oh my God, the horrors of war are horrifyingly real. <laughs> Nothing good happens. Uh, and they are now trapped in this horrifying fight for survival. Um, and with very little gain uh, of 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 land or property or any any nothing, uh, while the higher ups in Germany are basically working to f come to some kind of treaty or agreement with France and the European Union because uh, they're losing. Uh, it's a film that is hyper focused on Paul's experience as a soldier. Uh, you spend a lot of time with him on the battlefield. Uh, it is gritty. It is gory. Uh, it's thoughtful. And in, in its quiet moments, it's uh, almost pensive. Uh, the movie is all quiet on the Western front. Andy, what did you think? This is an incredible war film, very much in the vein of something like Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I remember that was the first film I saw. I saw that film way too young. I was like 14 or 15. Uh, but it really changed my perspective on what war is because it's it's often portrayed a certain way and has been throughout all, all of human history, honestly. Uh, but in this story, we get down and dirty, authentic trench warfare. And like these guys, they're cold, they're shivering, they're in mud, they're soaked to the bone. You know, and it's the end of the war, and everyone's hurting for supplies, human and otherwise. I mean, new you get new recruits where you can get them. Everyone's, you know, this is when the turnip winter it happened uh, in Germany, which this is reference where that that's basically all they had to eat for, for an entire winter. Um, and you have the these boys, these friends who are sold this this war as, you know, you go defend the fatherland, make your country proud, make your parents proud, all those things. And they, they're anxious and just rearing to go and sign up. And then they get there and they realize it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely awful. And they're, they're fighting this for this, you know, pointless piece of land. They make, neither side make, can make any progress. Meanwhile, it's juxtaposed with uh, Daniel Brühl's character, who, who's the politicians trying to come to a ceasefire, come to an armistice. Um, and that has a lot to do, but the, the depictions of war are, um, I mean, it, it's a powerful movie. It, it's a lot of it's, uh, tough to watch. It's lots of graphic violence, chaos, and it's amazing how just from a directing standpoint, how they put all this together. I mean, they would have had to dig all these trenches and there's, I mean, just the costumes, the amount of extras, the sets, um, it's an incredible production. 
Yeah, uh, this is an adaptation of the book, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, came out in 1929 from Eric uh, Maria Remarque. Uh, that movie was adapted into, or that book was adapted into a film in 1930 called All Quiet on the Western Front that actually won the Academy Award that year. Uh, it was a really big deal. Uh, there was a, another adaptation in 1979 that's much lesser known, did not do nearly as well. But this is probably the biggest spend uh, at, at this picture, at this idea that's happened Ever. Uh, I don't remember exactly the budget for this movie, but it is, I mean, e every dollar is on screen. It is incredibly visual. Like, it is <laughs> gritty and down in the dirt. Andy's right. Like, they, they built these big trenches for these guys to run around in and these huge swaths of no man's land. And they, they, they filled out the background with really good looking CGI. It blends really good. It's, it's got incredible, like, gritty coloring. It's, it's a very dark movie. Uh, I'm reminded, yeah, of things like Saving Private Ryan, uh, a little bit of like Sam Mendes 1917, uh, except yep. whereas I thought that movie was going to be a bit more like this one. I thought 1917 was going to be kind of a fuller picture. And instead, it turns into this like one day in this one soldier's life. This movie is that fuller picture. Um, quite on the Western Front is is uh, really powerful. Um, Paul's journey as as a German soldier is is so unkind. And I love the way the movie opens. It opens on uh, a German soldier climbing out of the trench and running across no man's land, like into fire. Like his, his, his friends are going down around him and one guy's screaming for his mom. And <laughs> it's like, it's, it starts right up front with the brutal. Uh, and then we get a transition to Paul, like at school, like forging his dad's signature when his, when his, when his friends are like, come on, man, like we're going to, we're going to go take back Let's Paris. Do it. We're gonna, yeah. Like it's, it is, it is starship troopers level patriotism. It's so great. Like these dumb kids have no idea what they're getting into. And you almost get a bit of like, oh, almost a bit of like a, a, a heartwarming comedy because you, you know that these kids are walking into danger and you you don't really know what level it's coming to in the movie yet. So as they're as they're walking to the front and they're they're kind of getting their supplies, you know, they're they're all singing and smiling like oh it's gonna be great, and you kind of get to laugh a little bit. But then they get out there and it's horrifying. <laughs> it's it's pretty terrible, and I can't believe like the scale that's present here. It feels like such a big production while also being like such a sincere story. I I, I was really impressed with with kind of the first act. Yeah, I mean, there's so much between you have this friendship between these four boys and also some of the the people they meet when they first join and th their first realization <laughs> that things are not kind of as great as they thought there would be is it's pouring rain and they're instructed to, uh, you know, use their helmets to help bail that water out of the trench. Um, and it's like freezing cold, it's mud muddy, and they're just like in the rain shoveling water and one of them just apologizes and says, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't realize this is it was going to be like this. And it's, you know, that kind of realization of what actual, how mundane a lot of war actually is. And then when the fighting starts, it's just chaos. And the, the, these boys have not really received proper training. They've definitely not been psychologically prepared for what, what they're <laughs> going to see, what's no. going to happen. Um, and at this point in the war, uh, Germany is more or less losing it. And they are losing some ground to, to the French. And one of, there's an incredible, kind of set piece near the end of act one where there's a what's called a creeping barrage where the mortars are getting closer and closer and the infantry is behind it and you know the, they're doing their best to to avoid explosions and it's just becomes inescapable 
Yeah. Uh, the film does uh, kind of calm down. Um, it's not all fighting like from the begin from the end of the third act on uh, or the end of the first act on. We do get cutaways to German diplomats, uh, mostly read by by Dan- led by Daniel Bruhl, who you would know from Inglorious Ave- Bastards, right? Avengers. Uh, Avengers. Oh yeah, right. He's in Avengers. Son of a gun. He's, uh, uh, Civil War. More. Yes. He and most recently in God, what was that series? Uh, Captain Falcon Winter Soldier. He's in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Daniel Bruhl. Uh, and he is a German diplomat who is who's trying to basically thread this needle between like <laughs> not pissing off like the homeland and, and the people above him in the country who have started this war who were like, uh, you know, we're, we need to win. And that's that. And also like negotiating a treaty with Paris and uh, in, in France and saying, hey, uh, you know, we, we, we need to get out of this. The people above him are like, we are absolutely not 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 quitting. Like, we're not backing down. Like, we have to win. Like, we, if we lose, like, what does that make us? Right. Like, look at all the people we've lost. They, they have millions of soldiers on this front line. Uh, and meanwhile, like <laughs> the, the, the officials from from France are like, we're not giving you an inch. Like, we're not giving you anything. We're, we're, we're not we're not signing a treaty of like agreement. Like, no, you're losing and we're taking what we yeah. want. That's what's going to happen. Uh, so you get some like genuinely terse, mo- like tense moments of you know diplomatic negotiations and and uh, fine diplomats on trains. Additionally, uh, you you get you know German German dictators and and uh, generals who do not like this, who who do not want to quit and say no no no, we're going to go out offensively and that's the way it's going to be. And that trickles all the way back down to Paul, <laughs> this yeah. this soldier who is just like covered in mud and blood and all kinds of garbage. Uh, you know, having to deal with the horrors of war, like we're really at the top. It's just like you know, it, it's it's as simple as like a signature to to solve I, this thing. Right. I I think one of the the things that's really powerful is when we first when they get in their first big battle, it's just chaos and everyone's scared and it's crazy and most of them survive that first battle. And then we it, we kind of do a time jump to eighteen months ahead, and Paul's a different person and he's yeah. like. I mean, he's still scared and he still, you know, doesn't want to be there, but he's like so much tougher. Yeah, he, he's yeah, he, he's just the the he's so like cynical and like the the everyday of occur, occurrence of death. He's like unaffected by it's it's kind of a scary thing. Like he's just like, oh, this is just what it is. This is what I have to do uh, to survive. Yeah. Um, and, and like that 18 month jump puts Paul in a different place. He's not just in trench warfare anymore. He's, uh, moved off with like a squadron to, um, I don't know, take over like an arms base or something. I I looked it up. There there are definitely some, some like distinct differences between the original and this, uh, it specifically is not a remake of, of either of the films that have come out before. It's an adaptation of the book. And some of those adaptations include like compressions in time, right? Yeah. You don't see any real training like for Paul, whereas the original book, like definitely they, they get trained at one point, Paul goes home on leave for like two weeks in the book and like has to look at his family in this totally different lens. And like, that's not in the film. Uh, A a couple of, of uh, deaths are drastically different in the movie uh, for more dramatic effect. And and I think ultimately like that produces a much more thoughtful feature. Like it's not, it, it is about, the horrors of war of course but like you also get some really quiet moments that i didn't expect um you know a lot of like the the music drops out just kind of looking at the battlefield and things exploding you know a lot of a lot of really thoughtful moments of just like the horrifying nature of what you're seeing right and it's also about 
things to come about what do we do after the war? What can we do? You know, how can we, we're going to be expected to forget what we saw and what we did and just go on. And the, a lot of them are like, they don't know if they can, they can do that. You know, I think Paul says at one time, I've been throwing grenades in the enemy's face for the last two years. And I'm just supposed to forget that. Right. <laughs> nobody nobody knows what PTSD is at this point. Nobody knows what a concussion is. Like this is very basic warfare. And that's uniquely a problem of of the film eh? leading up to the title All Quiet on the Western Front. All Quiet on the Western Front comes from the idea that like there is no movement by either side. The enemy does not move forward and we are not moving forward. And for like the 18 months that the film is I mean more than the 18 months, more than that 18 month jump, that front line like doesn't move. It didn't move in, in history. Like there was not a lot of movement. It was like like, what, 18 million soldiers killed or something? Like, over no land, over nothing that happened. Like, just just two countries throwing people at each other, you know, throwing lead and grenades and everything else they can. And, like, in that way, it makes for a really profound feature. I think my biggest issue with it is it's it's a little long. <laughs> it is a little long. I, I wish that, that we had kind of spent a little, or just gotten to know our characters a little bit better there's i mean probably about seven or eight people that we meet and they we know we learn a little bit about them but um i just kind of wish we got into their heads a little bit more that's something that something like um the thin red line or saving private ryan do a little bit better job of really getting to know our characters and they have really distinct personalities and this they're everyone is basically paul everyone's a scared 17 year old um you know, trying their best to survive this horrific war. Yeah, which I think is a great spot to jump into cast. Uh, it is a German film. It's all German. And, and interestingly enough, Netflix, like, originally throws the dub at you. They, 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 the, the film starts with a British English dub, and you have to go in and select German as language. Would recommend. I, I think it's I think it's better in German, personally. But uh, our, our lead, uh, Paul, is played by Felix Kammerer, who is a newcomer. He had a film in... Tw- 1998 where he was like a child star and otherwise like i think he's a friend of the director edward berger um but he's great he's he's given big moments of drama but ultimately like he's supposed to be this young new scared kid so like slipping him into the role of paul who is a young new scared kid kind of works fine and he's got a really good like i don't know look of like wonder (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's very he's very good at not delivering lines just looking like surprised or aghast or like i don't know like you, you get some surprisingly good dramatic moments additionally uh daniel Bruhl's in the film the other other actor i think is is that i would know that might be worth mentioning is Al- albert shuk who plays uh stanislaus kaczynski his kind of mentor and a bit of a friend uh up through a bit of the film uh surprisingly charismatic individual um I don't know a lot of these guys. I haven't seen a lot of them. I forgot Daniel Bruhl's in Avengers. So uh, for what it's worth, like I think they're turning out really great work. And I don't really have anything to compare it, compare it to as far as the rest of their filmography goes. But it's it's solid. I think they're all really good. Yeah, no, they're they're all really solid. And they, they have differing degrees of kind of how much they can take uh, in in this war. Uh, Paul being the main character happens to survive more than more than uh, is almost humanly possible. Um, But, you know, they all come kind of from different backgrounds. Uh, The friends they meet, some of them are more literate than others. Some of them have more prospects to go back to kind of once all is finished. And this doesn't, this doesn't get into as much of 
what comes after after the war it, they definitely touch on it but it we're not not really shown like what what do they look like when when once they get home no it's uh it's 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 surprisingly tight feature like i said i think it eliminates parts of the book that um you know would would drag it out even though it's already long <laughs> like they they do a really good job of compressing like down to um a particularly singular view for Paul and then pulling back to like the wider feature for the rest of the country. Uh, overall, like I think it's a really complete movie. Like I'm, I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Uh, typically when we're watching a movie this long at home, I'll watch it in two bit in two, in two parts. I did watch this in two parts, um, but I didn't find a particularly like convenient spot to stop. Like I, I, I powered through most of the movie in one sitting um, glued to the screen like it's it's mm-hmm. it's something else it's really good and, and and i think if you're a war fan um it's definitely worth checking out uh any other thoughts or recommendations i just wanted to touch again on the 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 battle scenes themselves are incredible pieces of directing and, and production uh, again hundreds of extras these elaborate sets involving you know trenches and the costumes and even there there's a section involving tanks where uh world war one is where they developed kind of primitive these primitive proto tanks because they didn't they didn't really know how to um fight against machine guns uh, and that's when they you know early tanks were developed but they were really huge they were huge compared to today's were very long long enough to so they could drive over a trench and not not fall in so there's a couple of sequences like that that are really terrifying and um it, it's weird because it's like it's it's a war film and it's it's portraying a terrible thing, but it's done really well and impressively. Like it's it really puts you there. Yeah, like the 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 spectacle reached is is like surprisingly candid for these moments of like abject horror. Um, the people are are you know undoing to one another. Like that's that's part of what makes it so chilling. Um, I guess one or not. Uh, Andy, would you recommend All Quiet on the Western Front? I would with a big content warning. I mean, it is a graphic war film. There's lots of violence and death, but um, it is an incredible. It is an incredible film. It it's just the production of it, um, taking putting you into this the frame of mind of a 16, 17 year old uh, German soldier going to the front lines, finding out that it's not all it's cracked up up to be, and but then having to participate you know, against their, their will, essentially in, in this war, they still have to go to the front lines. They still have to try and charge these machine guns and, you know, fight hand to hand combat with, uh, the, these French soldiers. And it's, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking. Uh, yeah, it really is. I'm in the same boat. I think this movie's super good. Uh, I think it's (sighs) tough to watch. Um, just just like something the same probably Ryan. Like it's, it's tough to watch. Like you're, <laughs> it is, it does not, it does the exact opposite of glamorizing like these events. Like it, it condemns them and it's horrified by them. And it, it puts Paul in this very, this, this position that we, the audience are very glad to not be in like this, this space that like nobody should, should, should ever be experiencing these horrors of war and, and brutal murder. And, and uh, it's something else, man. Like, <laughs> I think this movie's super good. Uh, I mean, any early takes on this thing winning 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 international feature, Andy? 
I mean, it, it, I, think I mean, it might like it. It'll make good, the short man. list, I think, at least. Yeah, I think I think it's getting a nom for sure. Like, I, I think it's it's accessible. I think Academy members can watch it at home. Uh, I, I mean, it might just take the crown. Uh, with that, we should move into our next feature, uh, or really our next review. What am I trying to say here? Our next segment. Andy, do you next... take this away from me? Do you mind? <laughs> it's time for the death of cinema. So we're going to be covering uh, this topic of why are movies getting so long? Mm. We, we, why are uh, movies getting longer? We were recently looking at, at the runtimes of a number of things we want to see, and we realized they're all like two and a half hours long, bordering on on three. Uh, part of what brought this up is the new. It was announced the new Avatar film, The Way of Water, will be three hours and ten minutes. It's almost as long as Titanic, but every a lot of other things have also been long. Um, the two movies that we're discussing today, Decision to Leave, is two hours and 20 minutes. All Quiet on the Rest in Front, two hours and 20 minutes. The uh, Tar, the the Lydia Tar biopic with Kate Blanchett, almost three hours. Uh, Triangle of Sadness, almost three hours. It's just like all these movies, and most of them are like smaller independent stuff, are so long recently. Yeah, um, these articles we've got pulled, a couple of them are from recently, but there's this old one from Variety that I wanted to reference as well. Talking about last year, uh, 2021, No Time to Die was two hours, 43 minutes. Spider-Man No Way Home was two and a half hours. Dune was two and a half hours. Eternals was two and a half hours. Last Duel, two and a half hours. The Batman, two and a half hours. My God. <laughs> every, every movie is long now. And we're getting to that season where, you know, you get an Academy Award winning features. You're getting spectacle at the movies again, right? We're not in January. By God, we're in November. And that means that people are going to be putting out particularly long features. Avatar is not exactly a special example, but it is a unique example of a director getting final cut, which is very clearly what's happening. James Cameron has said, I'm making it I'm my movie, baby. Like, that, that we're getting what we're getting. This is what it's going to be. He did the same thing with Avatar 1. There's no director's cut for Avatar. The, the movie that's on screen is. is James Cameron's <laughs> cut. Yeah, like, and this is the same way. Like, he he's, he's throwing it around, and that's the way it is. But other movies are getting to be this length, right? Like, everything feels like it's getting to be this length. Uh, I've got some ideas why. Andy, you want to take a swing at it? Well, I know there's things like, with, with big budget special effects films, you know, they, they want they want audiences to see the money on screen and so you get a lot of kind of long action sequences and lots of them black adam's a good example uh, that kind of stretch it out i'm really surprised at these shorter or not shorter but smaller independent films getting this kind of length like again tar triangle of sadness like both are almost three hours yeah <laughs> Uh, I, I'm surprised that indie features getting this, this as well. Like the, I, I don't know why that's happening, but I have a couple ideas. Number one, uh, I think movies are longer now because of commercial purposes. Uh, used to be, uh, uh you'd want a movie to be about 90 minutes, maybe a little longer. That was the ideal feature length because it was about how long people seem to want to sit for a movie. You could run a lot of showtimes at, at theaters with not as many screens. You could run a bunch in a day, right? Cause the movie's not that long. And a 90 minute movie adapts really great to cable. Cause you could slide in like a half hour of commercials and that's a two hour block, baby. But not many people watching cable anymore. Uh, theaters are, are multiplexes and have 20 or 30 screens in big cities. Uh, 
And people don't seem to mind turning out for features that are longer. Um, bigger movies seem to make more money. And this is just kind of a general trend, right? Like Avengers was nearly three hours and it made a bajillion dollars. Avatar was nearly three hours and it made a bajillion dollars. So like it or not, like accounting points to people don't seem to be against turning out for a longer feature. So studios aren't so worried about keeping things cut down. And lastly, Andy kind of touched on it. Uh, they want you to see the money. Like if they're going to spend this much money on a movie, movies are more expensive now than ever before. If they're going to spend, you know, a quarter, $250 million on making a new Marvel film, they want you to know it. Like, they're, so they're going to stretch those action sequences out, right? Like they're going to have more CGI. They're going to, they're going to pack those things full and making a bigger feature, making cinema bigger and bolder than like what's already out there helps it stand apart from this shorter attention span ideal that people seem to be sliding into because of the internet and short form video and things like TikTok, right? Like how do you keep somebody's attention for three hours? I think it's a big ask, but what's important is theaters will do it. Movies will do it. Movies will demand that they are so big that you will come in and you will sit for the whole time, right? And you'll watch the whole thing. It, 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 it helps separate like the world of the film, the silver screen from like the screens in our hands. That's what I think. And the problem is <laughs> there's too damn many of them. And I don't know why indies are getting to be this way. Cause I felt for a while indies were their own thing, right? Like especially foreign films. I, I felt like those were kind of their own space. And now things seem to be blending together. Any ideas why that is Andy? Well, it, I, sorry, say it one more time. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I realized I hit you with a lot. Um, why are indies so long? Like, why are why are foreign films getting longer? What we, why why is every freaking movie three hours now? Well, you know? I think I think we do have to remember that what is even though we think of an independent film being you know something small, uh, an international film on the other hand that might be the biggest thing that that country makes or one of a bigger thing. So That's you know because because when we think of, of indies, we think of uh, you know something small maybe like pearl or x that are you know small or smile small budget small everything but internationally it might be a much bigger production than than we might uh think but um but th things like tar i don't know or triangle of sadness i don't know I, uh, yeah <laughs> i mean you make a good point right like like Hollywood, America is like where it feels like cinema comes from. A lot of a lot of films, a lot of movies, a lot of movie making outside of the country often echoes or like is very similar to people trained on films from the USA, right? That's Hollywood, California, baby. That's where things are happening. It's where movies are made. Magic happens. And so a lot of like directors will imitate like stylings of America in order for films to do well here. Also, Andy's right, like a lot of these countries, I mean, they get one, they get one submission in the Academy Awards and the Academy Awards is kind of a big deal. Even if like, it doesn't seem like a big deal. You're not watching on TV. They print that thing on the front of the cover. Like they, they, <laughs> they put like a Academy Award winning film, Academy Award winning actor. Like it's a big deal. Like for, for a country to put a feature in, in international features and win at the Academy Awards. So yeah, a lot of times they're going to be doing what's popular. What, what is successful in America? What do people like? And I think, Directors know it's expensive to make a movie. You want to cram in as much good content as you can. You really want to make it a big round feature. I think also like it might be worth bringing up the idea of what I've been touting forever, bringing back the intermission. Cause my God, like sitting for these movies is getting to be a real chore. Have you ever gone to a movie that had an intermission, by the way? I think 
So yes, actually, once, uh, like in recent memory, when I was in college and, and <laughs> spent a whole lot of money on a film degree, uh, we would run long movies with intermissions. They'd stop in the middle just for 10 minutes. Uh, the, the one recent one I can think of was a couple years ago. Actually, you were there, believe it or not, Andy. Uh, we went and saw 2001 A Space Odyssey at the Texas Theater. Oh, they right. cranked the volume. It was like the 4K like release. And it looks so great. And they told us up front, they're like, we're stopping in the middle. Like we're going to, we've got a spot to like kind of stop it and bring the lights up and you can go get a fresh popcorn, use the bathroom or whatever. It was great. It was so great, dude. Like if anything convinced me an intermission is a good idea, it was that because we had a chance to talk about it. And I was like, Oh my God, this movie's tough. Like it got me jazzed for part two, you know, like it was good mm-hmm. stuff. Like I, I liked getting a kind of refresher stretching my legs. Um, and we live got- in the age of assigned seats. Now like, I don't get the problem, right? Like why not? Yeah, I I had one when I saw like the roadshow version of the Hateful Eight, yeah, which was a special. It, it was a longer cut. I think it was three and a half hours. Um, there were no trailers. There was uh, an overture actually that, that played at the beginning, but there we there was an intermission, and that was a you know much more modern film and at a modern theater. Uh, that was uh, probably a while now, several years ago now, but. Um, no, it was great. Same thing as you, you know, you get up, you take a break, you use the restroom, get some more popcorn. Yeah. It's wonderful. Like, there's no, I, I, and I, and I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like me and you and other film nerds are gonna be crying forever about bringing back the intermission, but like there, there really is no better time. Like I, I, the only reason I could think you wouldn't want to do it is movie theaters would say, well, Hey, that's an extra 10 minutes when people are going to get that free refill. <laughs> We don't want people topping off that popcorn for nothing, right? Most of them charge for refills now, and like adding ten minutes on every showtime is not going to break the bank when you got a, a twenty theater cineplex. So, I don't know. I, I I think it should come back. I don't mind long movies. I just wish there was a bit more respect for the audience that way, because I think long movies are their feet of endurance, man. You, you, like uh, some, I, I love this hot take on Twitter. Somebody who's like. I saw the three-hour, ten-minute runtime on in, in, on Avatar. They said, "God, now you're gonna have to start dehydrating 24 hours before a film. <laughs> Don't drink any water the day before, right? Like, just <laughs> see that. I'll just, I'll out. just go. It, it's so much better to be comfortable and just like you, you miss a couple minutes, go quickly, get back. Then, yeah, I want, I want that last third act. I want to be comfortable. I'm not. Don't want to be dying to use the restroom. I will never forget it." chapter two it part two was is the worst by far i've ever dude i th- i thought i was gonna die getting out of that seat <laughs> i i thought i literally was like i told my dad i was like you might have to call 911 like i i think something might rip in my in my internal organs me trying to get to the god i was i was dying oh my gosh uh, I, I think other people probably had similar stories. Uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> I, I, I like that movies cater to the audience and that they bring the spectacle of something that we can't get in other places. And I like when a theater, when it, when a feature is full of like exciting things, but like when it's just a little too long, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a, that, that's becoming like our most common complaint on the show. Almost every, every movie that's two and a half hours, like it's a little too long. I, I think, you know, two hours. If you can't do it in two hours, baby, like, I, I think you need to tighten up the story. Well, that's what I think. Right. That's, that's my thing is, like, if you have that much content and you can engage me for that amount of time, that's fine. Like, The Irishman is my, my go-to example. Like, I've seen that movie multiple times, and it's three and a half hours. 
but it's engaging the entire way. And most, like I said, to me, most people don't have two a two hour movie in them. Most people, like most movies, should probably be about a hundred minutes. Yeah. Um, so most people can't even get to the two hours and not make it feel too long. And then anything over that, it's like, do you have it? Are yes. you going to engage me for the entire time? Yeah, and, and like if you want to get an idea of like audiences, general audiences attention spans, go to a big movie the night it comes out, Friday night. See how many people are on their phones. Like the whole film. Like it is a normalcy now. Like it 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 is special when you're in a theater and nobody's on their phone. Like it, people just do it. And we went and saw the new Jurassic World. Oh my god. The woman sitting next to me was on her phone for like half the feature and I, I couldn't then I had to decide like god do I say something or I just keep it to myself and I kept it to myself cuz I'm a coward. But I'm a coward with a podcast and I can complain about her here. And and like what's <laughs> important like is that people even if you're making a big feature, like I, I worry that like general folks are just not here for it, you know, like, and you gotta, you kind of gotta be better. And, and I'm disappointed that James Cameron is, is blowing past three hours, three hours and 10 minutes. Like there better be, you know, there was a quote from him. I, I need to wrap this up because we just spent, shouldn't spend this much time on this, but there was a quote from him saying that like, if people don't like that movies are three hours long, they need to get over it. I've seen people watch six episodes of a miniseries and one sitting on Saturday and they're not getting up and going to the bathroom. And it's like, yeah, but like they're probably doing laundry. Like, and <laughs> they probably are going to the bathroom. There better be a neon sign in the middle of, of Avatar. that says, get up and go to the bathroom now. It better be like the most obvious slow scene when nothing is happening when half of the audience gets up and goes like, cause with an attitude like that, you got to give people a break, like three hours, 10 minutes. Come on, man. The other thing is that, you know, we, if you're filming an Epic, I can understand that. Like he did Titanic. That's worth three hours. And like some of those older films are like gone with the wind is like four hours. Ben hers, three and a half. Definitely up Titanic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, I can, I can understand if, if you're taking on a, a massive, project like that i can understand but i was like it's avatar like what are you how are you, you're gonna cgi me for three you know three hours and i'm <laughs> yeah okay, <laughs> that's gonna do it screen, copyright flag yeah no i, I think you're right like the, the seed look the spectacle of avatar looks great like i did they got a new trailer out We're probably gonna talk about it next week on trailer park or at some point oh, we do trailer park um three hours three hours ten minutes Come on. <laughs> like there's, a, there's nowhere you could have tightened that up. There's no red pen you could have hit that script with and said, mm, we don't really need this bit. This scene can go like, I don't know. It's, it's fine. Bring back the intermission. That's that's the point. The movies are getting longer because it is the way it is. I, I, I don't know if they start to go back the other direction. I think, I think, I think we're kind of just where we're at. But I think people's attention spans are getting shorter. And that's worth noticing, right? Like, I, I don't know. And with that, we should probably move into our final feature of the episode. Uh, this one's unique. I, I don't. This is not general release, right? Andy found some sick screening in town, and we went and saw it. And I'm stoked to talk about it. He's taking the summary. Uh, Andy, please take it away. Decision to leave. So this is the latest film from director Park Chan Wook out of South Korea, who did uh, famously is known probably best for Old Boy and the Vengeance trilogy. Trilogy. He is more recently his his last film was called The Handmaiden uh, from 2016, which is a great film, a period piece set in uh, Korea, uh, South Korea. Still great, 
great director. We love him on the on the show. Big fan. Yeah. And uh, so his latest film, Decision <laughs> to Leave, is a bit of a mystery noir slash romance, a lot thrown in there. At the beginning of the film, there is uh, a man has a climbing accident and a detective is sent in to investigate uh, the accident and see if uh, it was actually an accident at all. And uh, his the man's wife is uh, kind of suspected. Our detective is played by uh, Park Hail, and uh, the detective's name is Hey June. I'm going to try to keep do as few of these names as possible so we don't get confused. Uh, yeah, the, they come the, at the, the dead man's wife is, uh, her name is So Ray, and she is played by actress Tong Wei. Now, this is uh, important detail. Tong Wei is Chinese, and so the, and in the movie, she is also, she's a Chinese immigrant to Korea, and her Korean is, well, it's really good, but she's, she's like, oh, no, I don't understand everything completely, but she really does. Um, but those, he, these are two main characters, Detective Hei Jun and So Rae, the, the dead man's wife. She is suspected uh, of his murder, possibly. She seems to not be real upset over over his demise. She, she's caught kind of snickering to herself um, during interrogation. Uh, and eventually, Hey June just kind of falls for her for not any real reason other than he's just he just does. Um, and he is in this interesting situation personally where he is he has a wife who lives in another city. the The movie takes place in Busan. Uh, his wife lives in Ito or Ipo, which is he only sees her on the weekends, and so he has this kind of weekend marriage and has a lot of time by himself. He is a good detective, and he is very kind of obsessed about detective work, but his skills, he, he gets distracted by um, So Ray, and that, that's our initial setup. Uh, it's a very complicated movie. It is long. It's two hours and 20 minutes, but it's about this kind of uh, there's a lot of tension between our two leads. We don't know you know, did she kill her husband? Did she not? Is she, you know, she she has a lot of she has a good alibi, but it's still really suspicious. He is totally in in love with her, but he's in this, you know, this kind of weekend marriage that he wants to be sure and and honor. It's a very complex film. Um a lot of incredible visuals, which he's really known for. So that's our setup. Zach, what'd you think? So I did not watch the trailer again for this movie before I went and saw it. I figured I would just go in as blind as possible. I'd seen it once when the trailer first dropped, and I was like, you know what? I, I think I'm probably going to like it. I'm just going to go in real fresh. Like, just, I don't even really remember the plot. Right as it got started, I was like, oh, yeah, I think it's something about a detective and a woman that, like, is a suspect. And, like, it's funny because if this had been, like, an American feature, it would have been, like, a cheeky, kind of funny, like, miniseries on HBO where a detective, you know, is, is trying to solve a case and his his intuition is muddled by love. And, like, that, there's a world where this is, like, a rom-com, right? Like, did she or didn't <laughs> right. she? Oh, oh. But, like, Park Chan-wook goes the exact opposite direction and plays it, like, as straight as possible as, like, a really deep thoughtful drama like dealing with like the depth of emotion and like answering questions of grief and tragedy like ultimately mystery and a bit of thriller like to, to develop a feature that like is surprisingly satisfying uh and does come in a unique section of not quite two parts uh but there is like our other feature that we talked about a bit of a time jump in the middle that like adds a, a surprising amount of weight like to what would what, what would have otherwise been maybe a thin feature it, it makes for a long movie 
but I really enjoyed it. Like I, I didn't think it was that bad. I, I, and I'm excited to talk about it. I think. Yeah, I one of the things that uh, I, I just want to talk about the director. So Park Chan Wook was best known kind of for this really extreme violence that that we see in Old Boy and the, the Vengeance trilogy. I mean, really graphic, gory, brutal, and he's really toned that down. He's backed away from that um, just because he he feels like it distracts audiences. Audiences really like it, but they it just he feels like they are distracted from our characters and our story because of that that kind of stuff so this movie kind of tones a lot of that down but there's still a lot of strong emotion strong passion the other thing that he does in this movie that he also did in old boy is that technology is a big part of the movie phones emails cameras gopros like all these all it seems like there's a little bit of evidence on every device and you know there's a whole thing about phones and people switching phones and cloning phones and getting new ones and uh it's a big part of of the film and he finds really unique ways to keep it fresh he's not just you know you're not staring at someone's phone the whole time but you're also not just reading text on the screen he mixes it up makes it really interesting yeah i rewatched funny story i i just rewatched memories of murder uh, over halloween which is a great halloween watch by the way and uh <laughs> great great stuff and one of the things that's like really stark about Memories of Murder is uh, South Korean film, uh, Bong Joon-ho. Uh, they are trying to solve a murder with like no technology. It's 1986 in like rural South Korea. They're out in the they're on the country, all right. Like, and they don't have anything. Like, they don't even have computers. They're on typewriters. And like a big part of that movie is like <laughs> evidence getting destroyed. Like people not taking thorough notes, investigators trying to interrogate potential suspects. Do they think that's the best way to get like a conviction? Like very particular like note towards like lack of technology and how difficult that made things. Decision to leave like on the other side of the coin is so tech laden and like good tech too. Like when they whip open a browser, it's Google Chrome and they go to YouTube and like look up a video and watch it like you'd watch it. They're using Android and iPhone. Like they're very clearly using Apple watches. Like, and I like that it feels so grounded by using like hyper modern technology. In fact, that's part of the way this investigator like is solving things by using like and, and utilizing technology, GPS tracking, like voice recording, like like that kind of stuff is helping him like solve crimes. Uh, it, it, it's like in his, it's it's like stuff in his bat tool belt, and it's great. Like it, it makes our characters feel like phenomenally modern. It, it feels like you can reach out and touch them. These are real people. Like they they, they feel very grounded in reality, and I think that stuff's good. Um, additionally, like that leads us to particularly compelling scenes where our investigators is trying to figure out just what's going on. Right. And, and it is, it is following leads and looking at messages and it does a really great job of leaving uh, like a kind of a trail of breadcrumbs for him to find and making all of it just obvious enough that if you're paying attention, like anybody who's watched this movie would be, you'll keep up with it just fine. And it makes you feel like you are in in the car along with our investigator driving down this like very sophisticated very thoughtful like lane of a mystery and along the way we have this like surprisingly charming woman who he is just like becoming infatuated with <laughs> like, he just gets more and more more and more like drawn into this person who like has this mystery at her core that's like what happened to her husband right like did did she do this like is this coincidence is she tied up in it at all? Like, and I think that creates like a surprisingly compelling mystery. 
um, for, for, you know, an investigator who's just trying to figure out the truth and also like figure out how they feel. Yeah. One thing that's interesting, a lot, a lot of times movies like this have a really incompetent, uh, really incompetent police. That's, that's what happens in memories of murder, of murder. The police are useless And this. Um, Hey June is a great detective and he's, he's so good that he's obsessive about that as well. He, he suffers from really bad insomnia. So he'll just get up and go work. He'll go do a stakeout and just hang out in front of someone's apartment all, all night because he, he can't sleep. And, yet the detective work is really solid again combined with the technology you know he the they're recording everything every interview every time they interrogate someone taking notes like it's top-notch police work yeah um i do want to talk about like the, the mystery proper um i love the way this movie draws you the audience into like this the, the wife this this kind of relationship that they start to develop because like for at least a good chunk of the movie like none of the evidence really points to her and it's like it seems more and more like it's not her and even people around our lead investigator are like she couldn't be it not not a suspect can't be a suspect and he's trying to like really be thorough and be like no 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 i want to make sure like we do our due diligence here because we're not sure and he's unsure of himself and it makes you the audience like really start to fall into this line of like, well, yeah, she probably probably didn't do it. Right. Like, but then why would we have a movie? There's got to be something. There's got to be some kind of hook. And I think like the they do a really good job of like lulling you into this sense of, of comfortability before just yanking the rug right out from under you. Like <laughs> a, a like really particular uh, moment when when our, our investigator discovers something so casual. And it just unspools into this like much larger series of problems. And I think that stuff's really good. Andy's right. Like it's not as violent as, as Park Chan-wook's other features, but there are a couple really good scenes of like really grisly running, chasing somebody. There's a really sick scene with a knife fight and like a chainmail glove, uh, which is really cool. I guess that's just how they deal with knives over there. Cause they don't do a lot of guns. Uh, God bless them. Um, I like. I think that stuff's good and does add to balance. I, I do wonder if it may disappoint some of his bigger fans. That was something Andy had pointed out when we came out. It's not. There, there's going to be people who see this movie thinking it's going to be maybe like Old Boy, and it's it's it kind of is like thematically. Right. Yeah. I definitely and I I was a little unfair to it when I came out and, and I I realized that because, uh, yeah, you can't be mad for what it's it's not you got to be look at it objectively for what it is and you know again his career was kind of made and there was a whole movement of films back then in the early and mid 2000s this this uh, is called uh, asia extreme where lots of movies of that style of real visceral hardcore violence uh were coming out and it's you know that era is come and went and he's matured as a, a film director which is what we want to see we don't want to see directors never progress and and go on to to do new and bigger and and better things so it's it's nice to have and when we still do get some of that like i think the way he does transitions is i think that's the biggest calling card uh, of his work and that that is what you'll if you've seen old boy or the vengeance trilogy what you'll notice uh the most Yes. Uh, I was really surprised at how good like some of the transitions are in the same. I mean, there's like scenes in particular that are just really well shot and almost like unnoticeably. So if you're watching on Facebook, uh, I can, I've got a, a really great scene in particular uh, up on 
uh, our video stream here. Just it's just a frame, but you can see like uh, a mirrored reflection of two of our characters. And one person in the foreground is in focus and the other isn't. And then in the background in the mirror, the other character is in focus and the previous one isn't. I guess that's CGI. I don't know if they shot it twice. I couldn't even tell you how they did that. <laughs> it's like a great. I don't even know. I, I Maybe it's a green screen back there. Like, I have no idea how you'd produce that effect. Uh, and it looks so good. And this movie just like throws that out there like, like, a, like a magician doing magic tricks with cards. Like... And some of the transitions are are really stunning. Like I I I, I don't want to say like Boz Luhrmann level, but like dude, some of them are so so good. <laughs> and they use just What's a little so CGI wild, to like dress and them up and yeah, like really pull you into like the next scene and keep the movie just like driving ever forward. Right. There was one thing I wanted to comment on. The uh, language is is part of the interesting part of this movie because, like I said, Tongwei is from is from she's a chinese actress and she is playing a chinese immigrant um so part of the movie is in mandarin and then the rest is in korean only only small bits and um i thought that there was probably a lot i was missing out on because of not knowing it's hard to tell especially if you don't know either language um but i talked to a uh, good my good friend jacqueline uh shout out to jacqueline who speaks both and and i showed her a clip and she's she, you know she was saying the subtitles actually do a pretty good job and you're not you, you know it's just it's very nuanced if you you know if you happen to know both languages but it, it's an interesting uh element a story element for sure and so if you get around to seeing it be sure to pay attention to that yeah, absolutely. It reminded me of, of Japan's Drive My Car from last year. Like that movie played around with language in a uh, the setting of a play where all of our characters, uh, all of our all of our actors speak different languages, and they use like big subtitles on a screen above the play to like display what's happening. Uh, even leading to one character uh, who is uh, hearing impaired and is uh, doing. ALS American Sign Language, I guess. Yeah, like and and that movie like does a much sweeps over like a much larger plane to like address the idea of language through like experience. This one's much more particular. And I, and I know when we watched, I was thinking that I was like, I worry since I'm just reading subtitles that I'm missing a lot of like the, the fine stuff, right? Like characters not being able to understand one another, like via language, you're missing that like innate experience, but like ultimately I don't, I don't think it takes away from it. I, I think it's good stuff. Like I, I, I think it was a fine experience with subtitles and, and, while I may not have gotten the larger point right away, I think on rewatch it'll make a little bit more sense, become more clear. I'll discuss it with like my other film-minded friends who would mm -hmm. be watching this film. Which reminds me, like, can people see this right now, or is it just like, pre-release? I, th I think this is probably as wide as it's it's going to get. So definitely go out and try and see it now if you're looking to catch it in theaters. It is an incredibly complicated film because, like I said, it's in multiple languages. The mystery is complex, and there are several mysteries that come about, uh, you know, or things that need to be solved, not not just the murder. That's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And like I said, there's a lot going on with the technology and phones and who whose phone is whose and phones switching hands and being... But you buy it like it's I, I definitely lost track a little bit on some of the technology stuff, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to a rewatch. Yeah, me too. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Decision to Leave? Absolutely. Uh, great, uh, mature film from Park Chan-wook, who hasn't done anything since 2016. So it's he, oh, he's been doing TV. Uh, he just oh, had, this okay. is his first feature uh, since, since then. Um, 
great performances by our leads, uh, Tong Tong Wei and Hei Il, who play play our leads. And it's it's a complex film about you know love and and romance and duty and you know because uh our our lead detective is he he's obsessed that's his thing is obsession but he's obsessed about being a detective but also obsessed with this woman and both kind of uh contradict the other in in a lot of ways but it's it's an incredible film and the way it's shot and directed really you know it has that park chan wook uh, signature transitions that if you know his work, you'll see. And it, it's definitely something that I can watch mul- multiple times. So highly recommend. I think I'm in the same boat. Park Chan Wook's a real one. And if you haven't seen any of his features, you absolutely should. I don't think this is a bad one to start with. I, it's different. And, and I'm not as like enamored, I think, as I've been with other like international features uh, in the past that we've quoted on the show. But I think this is one that I'm going to kind of come back to and think about. Like, since we've seen it, I've been kind of thinking about key scenes and kind of pondering stuff. And I think you combine that with, like, some genuine talent behind the camera. And, and in front of. I mean, our, our, our cast is no slouch either. They're really good. Like, you come out with, like, a surprisingly poignant feature that has a lot of cool moments. Like, and, and builds to a lot of, like, unique tension and emotion that uh, reaches out across cross borders right across across language like across country like to tell a feature that i think everybody can at least enjoy like in their own way i, I think decision to leave is a really cool little movie uh, and i really enjoyed it and i'm glad we watched it and i think uh you know we're doing a really cool little episode although this is just about the end of it uh this is episode 195 of the podcast and we gotta start thinking about 200 i don't, <laughs> I don't that's right it's do. coming it's coming around we'll, it's coming we'll, up we'll think yeah. of our 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 top films from the last hundred episodes that's right. I, I would say it is four short weeks away, but we're actually uh, doing something a little funny next week and taking a bit of a break. We were talking about it before the show, and I'm going to be honest, Andy, I didn't write down what exactly what we were, we were doing. I guess I we're I... off next week, <laughs> and then we're coming back. Yeah, I, uh, this, so this is what what's going to be happening. So we're taking next week off, but our the next two features are going to be The Banshees of Inishirin, uh, which is the new Martin McDonough film starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. I heard great things about that. That is out this week. So if you're looking to catch that film, uh, it'll be out this weekend. Definitely try and try and see it. It probably won't be playing long. And then we are also going to be coming back with Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is in theaters November 11th, uh, which is a week from this Friday. And we'll probably be doing an episode late and in, into that uh, that week. But those are the, are the big... Big two, the Banshees of Inisherin and Black Panther Wakanda Forever be a mega episode for sure. Perfect. Let me, uh, there we go. I had the banner saying Enola Holmes too before we'd figure it out. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a good show. I, I, it's going to be a little off because I'm traveling, but it's going to work out. Uh, I'm excited to watch it. I, listen, have you heard anything? I, I know what I've heard about ben- Banshees of Inisherin, which is that movie might be like the best thing ever. It has, what, 150 Rotten Tomatoes reviews? It's like a 99%? Yeah. Like, come on. Like, oh my God, everybody likes this damn movie. Black Panther, meanwhile, at least from early screenings, I know they had the um, premiere with, with director Ryan Coogler and Rihanna had a song come out. Uh, I heard it is a thoughtful feature. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's that's what I've heard. So we'll see. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think it's supposed to be thoughtful because it seems to have, you know, have a lot yeah. to do with Chadwick Boseman and legacy and, you know, family. Black Panther and, also super long. It's two hours, 40 minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, it's, it, look, it's if, if there's no better way to close out phase four 
of Marvel's incredible run here than than Black Panther Wakanda right. forever. So. Phase snore is coming to an end. Fa- yeah, phase chore. <laughs> phase phase hard to get through. Uh, no, I, I'm glad it's long. Honestly, like I hope it's good stuff. I, I I like Black Panther one a lot. I need to go back and rewatch it before this one. Um, and that's what we got going on. That's what we got going on for the next couple of weeks. That, that'll be episode uh, 196. And if you liked what we're doing this week, or you maybe want to stick around for next week, easiest way to get the next show, just subscribe. Subscribe to this show, Off Script Film Review, on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartMedia, Spotify. We're in all the usual places. And you can follow us over there. You can also leave us a rating and review if you have the means. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, where we up- upload our live streams every single week when we do them. You can find us on Facebook, where we actually live stream the show yes facebook you can find us uh, every what about five o'clock on tuesdays do the show normally uh and that's where we're at you can follow us over there on instagram or twitter and all the usual places you can follow us where you like leave a comment let us know what you thought of the show or give us some suggestions for what we should do next week or give us some suggestions for what we should do for episode 200 because we're still figuring it out and uh you can find us on our website offscriptthumbreview.com and you can email us and mail at offscriptthumbreview.com about covers it boy wall to wall show this week two international features at the academy awards i, I don't believe it great this, great this is the, the magic weekend it's like in 2019 when we saw parasite and the lighthouse in the same weekend dude parasite and light i couldn't man i remember that like the buzz i felt the energy before we went live on that show i was like this might be the greatest weekend we ever have for off script like <laughs> yeah, oh my god parasite all downhill and lighthouse. From oh it's great anyway from all of us at off script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.